Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. It feels like it's been a while. Yeah, I don't has. think it actually has been that long. <laughs> I, know, I think we're actually pretty on par with uh, our <laughs> our timeline. But yes, I feel like it's been a hot minute. I, I loved how your dad was like, "What barbecue sauce did Haley bring on her plane?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh, that's how you know he's yeah. listening." <laughs> And I was sitting in the airport like, what barbecue sauce should I bring on the plane? <laughs> Getting those deep cuts. <laughs> yes. I, uh, I did bring jerky on the plane, though, and I was laughing to myself a little bit when I got it. because I was like, well, I'm going to have to crash. Yep. I mean, it's better than eating people. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> mm. So, how was Alaska? Tell me. gosh I'm so excited to tell you about this it was great first of all it was awesome um I saw some wildlife I saw a moose three moose actually five moose and for those of you that don't know the plural of moose is moose but um to be funny sometimes I will say meese (laughs) um (laughs) It only makes sense with the rules of English that I know. <laughs> moose should be meese. It should be. That's how it works. Um, so let me start from the beginning. <laughs> um, I had no expectation for what Alaska was going to look like. Yeah. Or like the terrain look like because um, I just, I didn't know. And so I had no idea that Alaska, and this is going to sound so fucking dumb, I'm sure, but I had no idea that Alaska was that rocky. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea there were so many mountains in Alaska. Mm-hmm. Like, I just thought Denali was, like, the one mountain chain, and, like, we were going to that one, it's fine, and, like, you'd see some mountains. But, like, everywhere that we drove, we were, like, mountains were shooting up beside us. And we drove pretty much all within... um like southeast Alaska mm-hmm. is where we were. We bounced around a lot. Um, so we, I'm going to give you a little bit of a timeline real quick. So on our first day, we landed in Anchorage, right? Um, and then the next day we go to um, Hatcher Pass um, and we hike Reed Lakes, which are these alpine lakes. 
um, mm-hmm. in the mountains. And then we camp in Talkeetna for the night at like a little campground. And we like went to um, a little brewery restaurant and um, like a little bar that's in town. It's like the cutest little town. Um, so we like camped at Talkeetna for the night and we like in the morning walked along um, the little river that's there. It was really pretty. And um, it was just like all the fall colors were out and all the water was just like so clear and Uh, blue all uh. the time. And that was another thing that I guess I didn't realize either is how blue the water is over there. Mm. I was just, I was just so shocked of how beautiful it is. Yeah. And um, so Talkeetna was like a cute town. We did that after the Reed Lake hike and um, the Reed Lake hike was like insane. We had to, it was like, it was fine for me to hike. I was a little nervous at some points because I had my $4,000 camera around my neck because I mm-hmm. thought it was like a, you know, like casual walk in the woods <laughs> and I was going to take some pictures nope. and it'd be like a, it'd be like a gradual incline with some switchbacks and like scenery. Like I had no idea what to expect. It, it really reminded me a lot of Alaska actually reminded me a lot of Northeast Utah when I was doing sampling up yeah. there. And so like the, uh, the creek that we were walking along at the start of the hike reminded me of like creeks that we'd sample. And um, it was just bringing back memories. And it was like, I don't know, I just felt like all reminiscent about everything. Um, um, and then after the switchbacks, you come to like a rock scramble, similar to what it's like at Old Rag, if anyone has ever been on the Old Rag hike in Central Virginia. Yeah, um, those are my least favorite kind of hikes, personally, yeah. because I'm clumsy. <laughs> well, so I was not prepared for the rock scrambles. Like, I've done them before, but again, $4,000 camera around my neck, and I'm like, yeah. oh, shit. Um, yeah. like, I was more concerned, like, going up to the summit, I was more concerned about hitting my camera that I wasn't really focusing on myself or where I was keeping my feet. And so after like the second rock scramble, I just put my camera away. I was like, there's no way I'm yeah. doing this the rest of the time. Cause I just don't, I'm not making myself feel safe. So yeah, you go through these rock scrambles, we get to like the top and like you're rounding this hill and like, as you round the hill, you see the Alpine Lake and it's just like, so pretty. It's just the prettiest, like brightest light blue color yeah it's like you know the alpine glacier lake from the mountains yeah and um it was so exciting I literally screamed (laughs) (laughs) um and I was so exhausted it was a eight mile trip round trip or eight mile hike round trip Mm -hmm. and uh that was our first hike was like (laughs) (laughs) was that and there's a waterfall there. So we walked up to the waterfall and like that, my legs were burning. And I, I think at one point during that hike, or maybe after that day, I like told my friend, Sarah, I was like, dude, if this is what this whole trip is going to be like, I don't know if I'm going to make it like, <laughs> I'm like tired already. And my legs hurt. Um, and then after Talkeetna, we went into Denali mm-hmm. and, um, in Denali, we hiked um, the Horseshoe Trail, and it took us down to the Nanana River, mm-hmm. and um, we just like had lunch along the river there. And then that night we camped at this place called Dragonfly, and it's on 
Dragonfly Creek, I want to say, is why they call it Dragonfly. And now I'm trying to find it on a map. Um, we had to hike down to it. It was like a 15-minute hike one way. So it was not yeah. bad. It was just, like, really steep. And so at one point, like, you're just climbing down, like, shale rock. These, like, <laughs> smooth rock faces. And, like, I, and, like, we have our packs on. And so that made me feel a little safe because I like looked over and I was like, you know, if I slip, I'm going to like hurt myself. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I was nervous about that. But after like the third or fourth time climbing it, I was fine. I was like, okay, we know what to do now. It's okay. Um, Anyway, it was a really, really pretty fight. And we stayed there for two nights. Um, And then the second morning, it was raining. That's why we did the easier hike. So we went and did, um, in the park, it's called the Savage, Savage River Trail, and then the Savage River Alpine Trail. And the Savage, Savage River Alpine Trail goes all the way up to the ridge. <clears throat> and um, since it was a rainy day, it was like cloudy. And so the clouds kind of covered the top of the summit. So we just we got halfway and we thought the view halfway was pretty enough. And my dumbass thought halfway was the top because I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, we're here. Like, this is great. And then my friend Sarah was like, no, we have to walk all the way up that way. And I was like, oh. And she's like, you yeah, know, I really don't want to. And I was like, yeah, no, me neither. Like, <laughs> I'm okay. Because, um, you know, we just decided that if we got to the top, it'd be cloudy. We couldn't see anything anyway. Right, right. And like from where we were at, we could see things. Like, oh, this is. It's fine. And we already hiked. I think it was like already, I think we already had hiked like two or three miles up anyway. So we're like, we're okay. Yeah. I can go back down. And then, so once we went back down, we just walked around the river or yeah, the river trail, which is a flatter trail and it just takes you around Savage river. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, that was, it was pretty, and it was good to do for like a rainy day. But as we were driving to that trailhead is when we saw the moose, mm-hmm. like we were driving up and we saw all these cars parked along the side of the road and we're like, Oh, something's happening here. And it's, it was also in the middle of like their rutting season. Oh uh, yeah. So, you know, they had signs all over the place. And so, um, we stopped and we walked up and like, there they are. There's like just moose in the field. There was one male and two females mm-hmm. and they were just, they were out in the distance um and then they walk closer to the road and you know moose are like they will um like not attack but they'll charge you yeah if you're close and so we were watching them from a safe distance and um they kept moving up closer to the road and like people kept like walking towards them yeah me and my friends were like you know like, that's not the best thing to do, guys. No. Like, they will charge you if you get close to them. And so, um, so after they got, like, close enough to the road that it was uncomfortable for us, we just left. And yeah. there was, like, small children around running around, too. I'm like, guys, like, <laughs> grab your kid. Like, geez. Yeah, that's, like, a huge problem in national parks, especially, like, Yellowstone is one of the worst um, mm-hmm. for that. They ha- There's a whole page about it like tourists like getting like literally feet from like buffalo and moose and and yeah well and then like they had to have crossed the road at some point because when we were coming back from the hike 
um, or not, I'm sorry, not coming back when we were still driving to the hike, like we got back in our car and we were trying to get through all the traffic. Mm -hmm. They were already on the other side of the road. So they had to have crossed and people had to have like, you know, watched them and be really close to them to cross. So it was just kind of like frustrating seeing yeah. how many people like were just super, super close to them and not giving them the right amount of space. Yeah. Um, and so that was really cool though, seeing moose like that. I've never seen moose in my life. That was alive at least. So and they're that was cool. so big. I saw one pretty close in Finland um, at a like a little small zoo in the town we were staying in. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like, you know. It, it wasn't like it was out in the wild, but it's like right next to the fence. And it's like, holy shit, these yeah. things are huge. They're large. <laughs> like, so large. Yeah. And then so, so then the next day we went south to Seward, I believe, is what we ended up doing. Mm-hmm. We went south to Seward and we stopped in Girdwood and did this hike up this, like, the the mountain that's right behind this um like lodge, I guess. But this hike was a straight up incline. <laughs> like it was, it was hard, but it wasn't even like a gradual, like, um, switchback. It was it's pretty aggressive to the point where like, you know, when you have altitude sickness and like you get woozy. Yeah. So like when I was getting towards the top, I was starting to get a little woozy and there is no like safe place to fall <laughs> like if I fall over I'm falling over it's and it's, it's time to die <laughs> yes and I was like holy shit like this is uh, a little scurry at the top though was a bar yeah so I was like <laughs> I was like this beer better be worth it <laughs> um it was fine though I mean it, since it's like a resort, they had one of those cable cars that went up and down to that part. Mm-hmm. And so like, if you wanted to, to take the cable car up, it would cost money, but you could hike it up and then, you know, take the cable car down for free. Yeah. So we just like hiked it up, got a beer and then uh, took the cable car back down. Yeah. I was just going to say like, oh, that's good. Get everybody drunk at the top of the mountain and then send them back down. Hope I know. Right. <laughs> See you later. Oh okay, my bye. god. Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah, no, oh my you. goodness. The elevation gain was 2,146 feet and we walked 2.4 miles. Yeah, but it was probably already like a certain amount over above sea level because Alaska's you know pretty high up too. Yeah. Yeah, I uh dealt with some altitude sickness when I was in Haleakala National Park in Maui. <laughs> I really? have not been that hot because that mountain's like, or that volcano is like 13,000, 10,000, 13,000. It's tall. Yeah, um, it's and very tall. so <laughs> it's just like, oh, that's right. This is what this feels like. Because I used to live in Colorado when I was a kid and we used yeah. to go up to Pikes Peak, which is a 14er um, all the time. And I've and ridden like, the train up to Pikes Peak. Never yeah, hiked it though. <laughs> never hiked it. Uh, just driven and rode because I was a child at the time. So yeah, <laughs> but my dad's hiked it because um, he's insane. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not fun. You feel drunk, you get a migraine. It's a good time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that like, 
made me a little nervous that I was getting a little woozy. But after we did that hike and we had our beer, I felt so much better. I was like, okay, I'm going to go take a nap in the car for the rest of the trip now. <laughs> um, so the, after that hike, we went, continued down to Seward. And when we got to Seward, we just uh, pitched our tents in like the public campground that's on the coastline there. Mm-hmm. And Seward is such a pretty harbor town. Yeah. Like, I think if I lived in Alaska, that would be like my first place to live absolutely out of what I know about Alaska already like I would live in Seward that's super cute Um, yeah I mean ultimately if either of us gets like a job up there we'd probably live on the coast anyway so yeah which would be a dream it's so pretty yeah I just thought it was amazing because you're right there on the water and then there's these huge mountains that are just right behind it Mm -hmm. and it's just so pretty but then the next day we went and did um the Kenai Fjords National Park mm-hmm. and we did the exit glacier the Harding Ice Field Trail to see the exit glacier so we hiked up it was about four miles to the summit so it was eight miles about eight miles round trip and that was a really cool hike because the scenery just changed like with every mile of the mm-hmm. hike like yeah. and honestly it, the first two miles of it reminded me of a hike in Virginia like somewhere in the Shenandoah, because Mm -hmm. it's like all green trees, like you're in the forest. And then once you get through all of that, like halfway up, there's this overlook. And the overlook is like of the, um, the glacier. But then we continued on. And like, as the trail, like further up, it just turns into more of like a open field, dirt path, rocky trail type of situation. Mm -hmm. And each overlook is just like more beautiful than the next. The last mile, you're pretty much in like, um, gravel because it's so high up there. On yeah. The mountain. It's like gravel and snow. And um, there was parts of the snow that was red and tr- come to find out it's like a red algae that lives on the snow up there. And it's caused by like compressing the snow. Yeah. Um, it's, it's cool how like, and I, we kind of experienced this when I lived in Colorado, um, how like mountaintops are kind of like ecological islands. Mm-hmm. Um, of sorts and like you, the the change is very stark in and we saw this on uh, Haleaka law too um like there are a, a ton of endemic species that are only endemic to like certain mountain ranges or mountaintops yeah like single mountaintops because like they're so unique yeah it's really cool I really appreciated like all the diversity mm-hmm. like so the red snow I guess they call it watermelon snow and um it's all the snow algae producing red or orange snow or jet or actually green algae that owe their red color to a bright red cart corral cannot say that word carotenoid carotenoid yeah carotenoid like thank you uh, like what's in carrots to make them orange or okay uh flamingos pink from the cool cool yeah oh true that pigment yeah so yeah, that pigment, which protects the chloroplasts from intense visible and also ultraviolet radiation, as well mm-hmm. as absorbing heat, which provides the algo with liquid water as the snow melts around it. That's cool. Yeah. So it's it's basically a, a form of sunblock for them because they're up so high on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So we saw red in the snow and my friend Sarah was like, why is it red? I was like, I don't know. Maybe like it's blood. Like maybe an animal killed something or it was bleeding when it walked across. I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking like there was maybe a lot of iron in the like dirt, you know, because yeah, that, that was my yeah. other guess too. But you know, I was like, 
blood. <laughs> that was first. That's where my brain went first. <laughs> uh, pretty on par for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. So we get to the summit and there's like this ice shelter up there, which was like, I've never seen one of those before, but that was cool. I have one of those. You see the glacier the whole way up. And then once you get to the top, you just see how expansive it all is. Like it's just yeah. snow, like the rest of the way out there. Yeah. So, I've never seen a glacier and I've always wanted to see one like in real life it's wild yeah I never thought that I'd see one and that's really cool and um oh I forgot to mention one of the more important parts yeah story so as we're walking back down the trail at Kenai Fjords it's like the last mile and a half ish Mm -hmm. until we get back down to the ranger station I see a bush move like 15 feet in front of me. No. And <laughs> and I thought that it was my friends about to jump out of the bush and scare us because there's four of us that were on this trip. So two went, were in front of us because they're fast walkers. And I was back with the other girl because we um, like to appreciate the view and go slow. Um, and so... I saw this bush move and I was like, oh, like in my head, they're about to pop out of the bush and scare us. So I almost did like a hop, skip and a jump to like scare them back. (laughs) And like right when I was about to do that, a black bear comes out of the bushes and walks across the path. And like, I go, Devin, a bear. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I have my phone in my pocket. And so I took it out to take a quick picture of it. And like, as I was taking a photo of it, it turned and saw that I had my camera in my hand, which I'm not sure if it knew it was a camera or if I just, it just saw that I had something in my hand. Yeah. But, um, it turned and started to take steps toward us. And I was like, okay, I'm putting the phone back down. It's uh, time to get big and yell. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So um, I had a bear encounter. That was my first bear encounter. And uh, that was wild. I still can't, like, I I think about it and I'm like, I almost like was face to face with a bear because my dumbass thought my friends were going to prank me. Like, Because on the way up, they were in front of me. And when I was rounding one of the hills towards the summit, they were hiding behind it. And there was like a little snow patch. And they had made snowballs. And they like popped up and ambushed me with snowballs as I came over it. So in my mind. It was like a boy who cried, a reverse boy who cried wolf situation. Yeah. Expecting it. (laughs) And it turned out to be a bear. (laughs) Yes. I was like, holy shit. I was like, that could have ended very differently. (laughs) Okay. Not to say that like black bears aren't dangerous as well but you had me full-on thinking that you were like 15 feet away from a a, like grizzly bear (laughs) oh my god and that was the thing so then after we had that bear encounter this girl Devin is like well you know at least it wasn't a grizzly like the grizzlies are like going off on grizzlies I'm like Devin I don't want to fucking talk about grizzly bears right now like I'm like clammy just seeing a black bear I'm nervous (laughs) (laughs) I can't handle this right now So I do have a question for you. Yeah. Did you actually get a chance to see the actual Denali mountain? No. So apparently there's like a group called the 30% group because 30% of people that always visit see it. Yeah. It was so cloudy the entire time 
but we never saw the full mountain. We probably saw like three fourths of it, but we never saw the yeah. full thing. I know it's one of the most dangerous mountains to climb in the world because of like the weather that's almost always sorry I've just listened to a podcast on because I've been binging national park after dark um so I just listened to a podcast about Denali and how it it is the uh tallest mountain in the in the entire continent of North America but yeah yeah, that that checks out that you guys didn't get to see it because yeah I know it's okay I mean like I got some photos of, you know, the other parts of the mountain chain, but, um, but it's, uh, yeah, no, we never got to see it, which is a bummer. We also never got to see the Northern lights yeah, um, because it was summer, right? Well, I mean, if you have the Aurora app, it shows you like what percentage, um, like you'll be able to see it like in certain zones. Mm -hmm. And so like we were camping on dragonfly, um, that was like one of the clearest nights that we had. Like I saw like four or five shooting stars that night and it was like getting to be about like midnight. The Aurora apps, like it said that we were like in the 10 to like 15% visibility zone. Mm. But as time passes, um, the green zone, which is like, I think it's like 30% maybe like moves in. Cause you know, the world's moving. Yeah. Um, the Northern lights typically show up between one and four o'clock in the morning, just kind of depending on when Mm -hmm. and um so it was on the aurora app we were probably like 30 minutes to an hour away from being in like a higher visibility zone Mm -hmm. and then off in the distance you saw clouds come in and so clouds came in and covered us like right before we were probably going to see them that's so yeah it really sucks so we never what, had to what see was them, the but- point of going to alaska what was the point <laughs> <laughs> i know right like that was like the one thing we went out there for was for the northern lights too which is yeah. kind of ironic that we never saw them but yeah. well it sounds like you had a lot of fun it was a lot of fun so we saw an otter a black bear a lot of moose we saw three moose in the park and then the next day when we were leaving the park um we were driving down to seward and that's when we saw two moose on the side of the road a mom and its baby like Whoa. literally how you would see deer on the side of the road. Like they were yep. right there on the side of the road. Yeah. A bunch of wildlife and some fishes. Yeah. <laughs> some it was great. Dead salmon. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I, uh, it was a great time. I loved all the yeah. hikes. It was just such a pretty, pretty thing to do. And like the scenery was just amazing. And Sarah and I were just like mind blown at everything. We're like, Oh, look at that. Oh my God. Look at that. Wow. How pretty is this? Like, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, um, we've spent a lot of time. <laughs> I know it's like a good catch up of my trip. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. Cause I did the same thing after Maui. Um, so we are in the middle of our hurricane episodes and yes. as you all know, and right around the time when I was posting, um, episode 15, which was about the great storm of 1900, uh, hurricane Ida hit, Louisiana. Thankfully, we did not see anything from that hurricane, like no rain, no wind, nothing. Yeah. Hurricane Ida hit, um, was it September 6th? I think. I think so. I'm looking it up right now, actually. <laughs> it was right before I left for Alaska and I just, you know. Oh, sorry. Log- August, August 29th. My bad. August 29th. Um, on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, which you all know is one of the deadliest 
uh, hurricanes in modern um, times. And that mm-hmm. hit around the same area in 2005. Um, and it was about a week before the Great Storm of 1900, which happened September 8th and 9th um, in Galveston, when we talked about um, literally like a week before that. So that's, uh, to me, seems like the worst week <laughs> for hurricanes. Yes. <laughs> um, so a lot of destruction. I was following it the whole time, especially in those like very coastal communities um, uh, like Homa um, and some of those other small coastal towns um, in Louisiana. New Orleans, of course, lost power. And if you see a lot of the pictures from the destruction of the initial landfall, because this was a category four hurricane. Mm-hmm. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it was like it was like a couple knots away from being a cat five. Like it, it was might. on the higher end of a cat four. Yes. 172 mile per hour winds. Jesus. Uh, so that was 172 was the highest wind gust that they had. A category five hurricane has maximum sustained winds of at least 156 miles per hour. So it has to be sustained in order for that, for the hurricane to be called a category five. Oh, yeah. So they had higher wind gusts, however, because it wasn't a sustained wind gust that was still only a category four gotcha however i mean if you watch videos and stuff you can literally see buildings being blown away roofs being blown off like terrifying i saw that on the news like metal sheets of roofs are just flying through the air and i was just in shock because that's oh my god yeah so many reasons and think about all the people that were in the hospitals at the time too yeah because people I mean, hospitals are getting overwhelmed with COVID patients because people aren't getting vaccinated. Yeah. And then you have a hurricane come through and like bust a roof open and the freaking place floods. And yeah. 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 Um, I think the majority or I think entirely uh, all of New Orleans lost power for I don't know how long or if they have power back yet. Um, I heard that it was going to take them a month to get power back. To get total power back to everybody. Yeah. Which is, I don't want (laughs) to, I did that for four days this year. I don't want to do that ever again. (laughs) That was like when Irma hit the keys, apparently that was the same thing. Like it took months Mm -hmm. for the power to come back into the keys that were not Key West. Like apparently their first priority was to get Key West back up and running for tourism. Right. But like, even when that was a thing, um, like Big Pine where I'm at was still fucked. And yeah. it's like, everyone's coming into Key West. Like, oh, this is so great. And Big Pine is like still without power, like living off yeah. generators and everything. Yeah, well, and awful. that's probably going to be the case with New Orleans. Like the areas that are for tourism or commerce or the most you know, wealthier areas are probably going to get power back before some of these poorer communities and some of these small coastal towns that just don't have a socioeconomic priority, mm-hmm. um, which sucks. And it, it is one of the uh, fallouts from these kinds of things. Um, but yeah, so they... We're dealing with crazy stuff. I think the hospitals were on generators, which thankfully, because I know a lot of COVID patients are on ventilators and you need power to keep them alive, essentially. Yeah. So get vaccinated. Just yeah. freaking stop taking horse medicine. It's not. <laughs> People are doing that. 
Oh my God. Don't get me started on freaking ivermectin. I'll tell you about that later because okay. if we talk about That'll it, that'd be right like here. another hour tangent on this podcast. <laughs> Um, anyway, um, so, and then another fallout from, uh, Ida was the fact that the Northeast is like fucking underwater, like Philadelphia, New York city, all of these areas, places in New Jersey experienced extreme flooding. I'm not just talking about a couple of feet, like, you know, a foot or two. I'm like, oh shoot, my house has some water in it. No, I mean like people were getting trapped in their houses, going on top of their roofs, like yes. that much rain. I, I've seen pictures of like highways or interstates in the middle of the cities that are like underwater. I've seen videos on TikToks of people living in New York City and their apartment buildings are flooding and you can't go into the subway because it's flooded. Like, so anybody who's trying to say like, well, only the coastal communities are going to be hurt from hurricanes. That's absolutely not true. And these category four storms are only going to get worse in mm-hmm. the coming or more frequent in the coming decades. And it's, it's a big concern because not only was New Orleans severely hit Philadelphia and New York city were as well. Those are three major U S cities all yes. in the same you know time period. So mm-hmm. just climate change matters get hey guys the earth is round too just so you know oh yeah let's throw that in there like while we're on the topic (laughs) we and this is my favorite argument for anti-science people is i'm a scientist so i'm sorry i'm going to have opinions about these things it's literally what i do for a living Mm -hmm. so if you think that this is political fine that's your own prerogative but for me it's literally this is what i do for my life for my job for Mm -hmm. how I earned money, which is not much, mind you. And so this is always my argument. We, as biologists, do not get paid enough to lie to you about any of this. Yeah, I literally, yes. I wish I would be confident in telling you how much I get paid, but I don't want that out in the ether. Right. But I, yes. It's not enough. (laughs) It's not enough for our level of education. And I'm not saying that to be elitist. I'm saying that just because scientists do not get paid. There's not the funding out there for us. I'm very lucky um, that mine is enough that I can get by on it. However, we are not raking in the big bucks to tell you these lies. They're not lies. They're um, because we have the evidence, you know, I literally work with the data that shows all of this. So anyway, rant over, get vaccinated. Climate change is real. I do have a survival. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just very tired of um, trying to beat this into people uh, because it's literally just, it's my entire life. This is what I do. Um, so anyway, I do have a survival story that is kind of near and dear to my heart because as you guys may know, um, I am a shrimp scientist. I work on shrimp diseases. Um, and so I am very partial to the shrimping community Um And it is getting harder and harder for shrimpers down in the Gulf of Mexico to continue with this way of life, with this um, uh, way of uh, making money because of these hurricanes causing such massive damage to their infrastructure, their boats and stuff. And so shrimp populations are actually on the rise. Um, However, shrimping itself is on the decline because 
of the damage that they sustain from hurricanes like this. So I found a story about this man in Laf- uh, Lafitte, Louisiana, who survived 13 hours on a capsized shrimping boat during the oh hurricane. My God. So basically what happened is that this uh, man, uh, his name is Norman Bose, um, and he lives in one of these uh, coastal communities uh, that got hit the worst uh, in uh, Lafitte. Um, and he planned to ride out the storm with a friend, um, but he, he thought he had time to go check on his boat, which was in Bayou Barataria. Barataria. Famous last words. I got time. <laughs> um, but Ida <laughs> was too quick and caught him while he was literally on his boat. Basically, he was on his boat and his boat broke loose and uh, from like the dock or the pier and rolled over. And so he spent 13 hours laying on top of the boat. And then the next morning, the friend who he was supposed to stay with came and rescued him. His friend's name is Grant Bundy. And basically his (laughs) friend Grant Bundy was trying to call him. Was trying to call uh, both who was holding on for dear life on the boat and he wouldn't answer. And Bundy said he couldn't go out because it was blowing 120 miles per hour and he didn't want to like leave his house, you know? And so, but by five in the morning, he took out his mud boat to go find him. And he said that his boat was gone and we had some guys next door to us that said, "Uh, you're looking for that skiff. And he said that old man in that skiff, it busted loose, flipped over in the middle of the bayou. And so Bundy was like, I've got to, got to go get him, you know? Mm -hmm. And so basically they thought that he had, he had drowned. Um, Boyce uh, said he could hear the boat coming and he raised his hand up and uh, basically much joy (laughs) ensued after they realized that he was still alive Hey, I'm alive. Um, yeah. Hey, I'm alive. <laughs> so I didn't realize that his boat was a skiff, not a like big, big boat. Um, I, yeah, I was thinking big boat when you initially told me too. this, but a skiff is a completely different no, story. No, it was like a shrimping boat. Oh God. Uh, so yeah, it's a skiff, which is not a very big boat. We use them a lot for um, working inside the coastal bay areas but yes and mind you skiffs aren't that deep so if it capsizes you probably have like what two feet of headspace yeah yeah unless you're on top of it oh i got yes, on top but- of it i think yeah so so basically this man just literally survived the night 13 hours clinging onto a boat so his friend could get out and come save him and uh god bless that's an incredible. And uh, I probably would have ditched the boat and tried to swim for sure. Personally, the minute it broke loose, been like, I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe he wasn't able to do that. I'm not sure. So um, this article comes from um, a uh, news source outside of uh, New Orleans, um, a CBS-related news source outside of New Orleans. So, Oh, wow. Crazy stories. So that was my favorite little story that I found. So That's anyway, wild. Yeah, I know. Like, how, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> so like- there's a uh, word of mouth story that's been that I have heard down here, and I do not know if it is true or not because you know telephone game. Mm-hmm. And but I did hear that when Irma hit the keys, there was some guy that 
dove his canal dock and clung onto the pilings and just rode out the storm. I feel like that would be, I wouldn't put it past someone to do that down here, but I also don't know if that's true or not. (laughs) Well, just because it would depend on the situation because I mean, both of us dive. So we know how quickly you go through a tank of air. Yeah. You would either have to be like just on the surface the whole time or like constantly switching out air, which takes time. You have to get out of the water. Like you can't I know just... that's why I'm like, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, I heard that story. And the, the guy that told me that I, uh, I uh, can see how that could be exaggerated. <laughs> could be a good old Key so, West urban legend. <laughs> right. Yes. That's, <laughs> yes, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of Irma. Yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about today is a good old Hurricane Irma that mm-hmm. has still um, scarred many of the Keys residents down here. Yeah. Um, Hurricane Irma was before my time of living down here. This was actually when I was in Utah, so far away from hurricanes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't have cell service during this time for much of my time out in Utah. So I don't even really remember if I kept track of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it might've been one of those things where I just came back from Utah and I was like, Oh, what a hurricane hit. That sucks. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of like, kind of like, like how I came back from Alaska. I was like, wait, I did hit. But anywho, so in 2017, September of 2017, Irma was the first category five hurricane to strike the leeward islands on record. Um, when it hit the keys though, I want to say it was a category four hurricane. Mm-hmm. Yes. It was category four and made landfall as a category four hurricane. Um, just living down here, I have seen how people are still very scarred from this hurricane, even though it was a handful of years ago. Um, for example, my landlord wants us to put our hurricane shutters up at the beginning of hurricane season before there is even a hurricane or mm-hmm. tropical storm threat and keep them on until the end of season, so which you would just have no light, <laughs> which would be us living in a cave for four months. Jesus. And so we don't do that. Um, we pretty much try to hold off as long as we can. Because we have to climb the sketchy ladder and like our shutters are the metal panels that you have to put on the window and then have a wing bolt and screw the wing bolt over it. And our house is on stilts. So you're climbing up a sketchy ladder to just yeah. in the air and doing yeah. all this. And it's not the best situation. No. And, um, you know, her, our landlord and us, like, it's not like an argument. It's just like a very, very like, um, delicate conversation, I guess mm-hmm. you could say, because mm-hmm. she wants us to put them up and we're like, you know, we're, we're monitoring the storm. Like my roommate works with me. So we're both in the marine science field. And we also have to take care of the lab when hurricanes come through here too. So Same. it's like, yeah, but yeah. like we're watching the storm. We need to watch the storm for work anyway. Like we're monitoring it. Um, you know, not to mention living in the dark, like that is not good for your mental health. Just ask That's people who live in my- <laughs> yes that's what I was telling my roommate I was like okay well next time she comes at us like I'm just gonna be like listen like I cannot live in darkness for four months so yeah anyways but yeah so that's like you can just tell how it's like kind of reverberated still years later like people are just nervous 
um, about storm season. And um, it caused over $50 million in damage. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are still places in the Keys that haven't recovered from Irma. And there are places in the Keys that have recovered, but have um, changed and have been um, named after Irma. Like there's this tiki bar, the next uh, key over. And it, they have Irma's dog beach on there now because your Irma ruined part of it. And now it's a dog beach. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so that's that. Um, so yeah, it was, um, category four when it hit Florida or the Florida keys. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, it was the highest winds was one minute sustained at 180 miles per hour. That's fucking fast. Yeah. Let, that's kind of like what happened with Ida, like I was talking about, like that it's higher technically cat five level winds, but because it wasn't sustained for like a longer period of time, it's mm-hmm. considered a four. Yeah. Cause you said 180, right? Yeah. 180. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there were 52 direct fatalities and 82 indirect fatalities. Ooh. This is all according to Wikipedia that's, right now. That's high for a modern day storm. And keep in mind, this is for the storm itself. This isn't for the Florida Keys, like the deaths. Yeah. Although so. Florida Keys deaths were, were a thing. This is including all the places that it hit. Yeah. So um, let's go through the, um, the travel of Irma. So it developed from a tropical wave near um, the Cape Verde Islands or Cape Bird Islands, however, Verde. Verde. I was like, yeah. that's green in Spanish. So I'm assuming that's what that means. Yeah. Um, Cape Verde Islands on August 30th. Favorable conditions allowed Irma to rapidly intensify into a category three hurricane on the Saphir Simpson wind scale by late on August 31st. So this was a quickly developing storm, which also I think is why um, people like my landlord are still nervous about it because mm-hmm. things just changed very quickly. Yeah. Um, the storm's intensity fluctuated between categories two and three for the next several days due to a series of eyewall replacement cycles. On September 4th, Irma resumed intensifying, becoming a category five hurricane by early on the next day. Early on September 6th, Irma peaked with one minute sustained winds of 180 miles per hour and a minimum pressure of, um, 914 HPA. What is that notation? What do you know what that means? Like that, that, uh, unit measure of unit. No, I'm looking at it right now. I never took physics. <laughs> I took physics, but I, uh, almost failed physics too. So hectopascal a Pascal. Got it. And a Pascal Which is a unit. hundred times. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, go, go. Sorry. <laughs> We're you both looking it. it up at the same time. Uh, <laughs> it's a unit for measuring atmospheric or, uh, barometer, barometric oh. pressure. Yeah. 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 Cool. Okay. <laughs> Glad we got there. <laughs> We're scientists. Um, Anonymometer. Anonymometer. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so Irma was the second most intense tropical cyclone worldwide in 2017 in terms of barometric pressure. I guess I could have just kept reading of that and we would have had our answer. Everything's fine. Um, I do that. And the strongest. The time. I know. I'm like, just keep going a little bit, Haley. Give yourself a chance before you start thinking you're a dumbass. But <laughs> I like to default to the dumbass because then I'm like, oh, I guess I am a little bit smarter than I thought I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyways, um, 
So where was I? It was <laughs> God damn it. It was the second most intense tropical uh, cyclone worldwide in 2017 in terms of barometric pressure, and the strongest worldwide in 2017 in terms of wind speed. Another eyewall replacement cycle caused Irma to weaken back to a Category Four hurricane, but the storm reattained. But the storm reattained Category Five status before making landfall in Cuba. Although Irma briefly weakened to a Category Two storm while making landfall in Cuba, the system re-intensified to Category Four status as it crossed warm rock. Whoa, that's a tongue twister. Warm waters of the Straits of Florida before making landfall on Kajoki on September 10th. Irma then weakened to a Category 3 status prior to another landfall in Florida on Marco Island later that day. The system degraded into a remnant low over Alabama and ultimately dissipated on September 13th over Missouri. The storm caused catastrophic damage in Barbuda, St. Bartholomew, St. Martin, and Guia, is that how you pronounce that one? And the Virgin Islands as a Category 5 hurricane. The hurricane caused at least 134 deaths, um, one in each of those islands, three in Barbuda, four in the British Virgin Islands, 10 in Cuba, 11 in the French West Indies, one in Haiti, three in Puerto Rico, four on the Dutch side of St. Martin, 92 in the contigu- contiguous United States, and Which four is a lot. That's a lot of deaths. <laughs> and four in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Hurricane Irma was a top Google search term in U.S. and globally in 2017. Um, so, yeah. So, um, Florida, like, from the Florida Keys standpoint, um, like I said, it caused over $50 million in damage. It was one of the strongest and costliest on record for um, hurricane damage in the Keys. Yeah. Um, on Big Pine, it devastated communities down the street from me. That's called the Avenues. Um, the working class community that helps keep the restaurants, marinas, and hotels running was mm-hmm. still recovering nearly four years later. Yep. And like I said, there are still parts that are still damaged from it. Like there's a lot of houses down here that got ruined. The roofs got ruined and people just kind of left them. So there's houses that are just shit down here. Yeah. Um, I but I mean, if you want a good fixer upper, you can buy one for $500,000 or like way too much money. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> everything's expensive down there. Yes. Well, that's kind of like um, what I was talking about with Ida. Like it's going to take some of these communities forever to recover just because of the socioeconomic difference mm-hmm. between and it happened with Katrina as well. Like I went on a mission trip down um, south when Katrina happened um, to like help rebuild some of those like underserviced communities. And it's just a huge problem with these storms. It's like, yes, of course the rich people are going to come back there. They have the money to rebuild, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So when Irma hit and everything was devastated, I heard a lot of stories about that, how there was a lot of looting happening. Mm. And that scares me because there were people that obviously like have guns and protect their property and things like that. And Mm. I, if I were in a hurricane like that bad and people were looting my property, I would just not even know what to do. I'd be so scared. I'd be like, I don't know how to protect myself, you know? Yeah. Um, well, and so, it's like, you, you don't want to kill anybody. No, but it's like, don't take them. my shit, bro. Like, yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Um, and also, like, I would have been out of the keys. There's no way I'd be staying through that. No. Um, <laughs> first responders obviously had to stay mm-hmm. through it. Um and then, so for people that don't live in hurricane areas, what happens, how you get back into 
your home is down here. We have stickers for our car that are different colors and give an indication of what part of the keys we live in. Mm. And so, um, and depending on who you work for, like our work has, um, hang tags. That's like a worker's re-entry pass as well. Interesting. So I have a resident re-entry and a employee re-entry. So that's like, they'll close down the road because like, they don't want people that don't live here to come back in. Mm -hmm. So unless like, you know, obviously they need to. So, um, so if I were to leave the keys for a storm and it were to be devastated, I could come back with the, um, indication that I live down here and work down here. And I need to be down here type yeah. of thing. Um, and when I went to Alaska, my roommate texted me. He's like, hey, I don't think this is like, you know, going to be a thing. But just in case, uh, what do I do with Waylon? I was oh. like, you get him out any way you can. <laughs> um, I was like, if you want to leave, take him with you. If you're not leaving, send him with our other friend that has a dog. You know, Hank's mom. Um, yeah, Hanky. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I was like, if she's not leaving, get any of the interns that are working at our lab who are leaving to take him. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, and then give them my number and have them text me because I, yes, just get him out. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure my aunt would disown me if we evacuated. So their house without (laughs) Marcy, not that we would like, that's insane. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I'm like, you just take my dog, figure it out later. Like the situation, like feed him beef jerky until you figure out what, like, you know, if you just need to leave, like don't (laughs) take his food, just give him some beef jerky. He'll be fine. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, down here, like, it, it really changed hurricane Irma from what I understand for not living down here for too long. It really changed, um, people's perspective. Uh, and, um, for instance, our house is on stilts, but there is, um, the back half of the house is underneath it is an enclosure and it used to be an efficiency unit. So they used to rent that unit out as well. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously ground level. And that room got flooded about two feet Mm -hmm. when Irma hit. And so like down there in that, we use it as storage now, but it's unfinished. And um, they ripped out like the two feet of drywall that was flooded and rotted and they just never replaced it. So I guess um, what ended up happening after Irma is like whatever the housing laws, people, whatever they do, I don't know those terms. Um, there's now a rule that you can't have an efficiency underneath your house, like unless it was built before a certain time frame. Like yeah. you can be grandfathered in for it, but like they're like I guess after Irma they put that rule into place that you can't rent out a bottom unit now because it's just too dangerous. Right. Um well, and it's like at this point in coastal areas, like like what's the point? of building a house if it's not on stilts right (laughs) um my house and a lot of houses in our neighborhood and some of the areas around here aren't but a lot of the towns here like the actual little legitimate towns were like built up on bluffs so Mm -hmm. we have some elevation here like caused by river erosion and stuff so it's not as flat as like the keys are (laughs) Mm -hmm. because y'all are like pretty much sea level like all the whole island yeah so get this too so um, coral reefs are important because they take a lot of the wave action away from the mm-hmm. coastline. Mm-hmm. And like, obviously our coral reefs in Florida are not good. And so like the coral reefs go, 
then like there's nothing to protect us from all right. that wave action. And so our lab is on Summerlin Key and it's like about, I think it's like eight miles away directly across from Lou Key. Mm-hmm. And so prior to Irma being like coming and hitting the keys, um, <clears throat> our lab had just been redesigned and built like five months prior to Irma hitting. Mm-hmm. And so our lab used to be like these two white house looking buildings that were like four rooms on this piece of property on a canal. They um, remodeled it to be a, um, was it 19,000? It sounds bad that I don't know this. Um, I want to say it's 19,000 square feet. I don't um, know how big my office is. <laughs> well, I'm saying it's bad that I don't know this because I say this shit all the time. Yeah, 19,000 square feet. It's like our tour. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, yeah, so our lab now is, it's a big gray rectangle that's three mm-hmm. stories tall. The bottom level is like cement postings because obviously it needs to be raised, right? And um, it's 19,000 square feet and it's a category five rated building. Damn. So it was really great that that was built five months prior to Irma hitting. Because- yeah. They were able to protect most of it. Like we lost a lot of coral. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's for me, it's a safety thing knowing that like I have a safe place to go. If I get stuck mm. here, I can go to the lab and hunker down. Yeah. Um, and so when I was moving to the Keys, I was actually moving during Hurricane Dorian and I was sitting That's in a right. I remember yes. <laughs> and I was sitting in a hotel in Sarasota. And I was like, all my shit was in a moving truck. I had my dog in a hotel and I was just like watching the news, trying to figure out where this hurricane was turning. And I was like, pretty much almost always on the phone with my new boss, like checking in like, Hey, I don't know what to do. Like, (laughs) what's it like down there? Cause you know, like gas will go out like during storms, like people will like stock up on gas and I'm like, I can't get down there and not get gas and all these things. And so she was just kind of like, I really don't know what to tell you, but like, you know, the, the lab is category five rated. So like, if you need to come and stay here, you can Yeah. If you make it down and you can't get into your house or something like that. And I was like, okay, well, that's good to know. So yeah, our, our lab is very sturdy in that sense. But so the lab saw four to five foot waves mm-hmm. on the canal side, obviously, um, while Lou Key saw 20 to 25 foot waves. So like the reef eight miles across from the lab took about a lot of it. Yeah. Yeah. 20 feet of wave action from hitting us. And so like, you know, when my boss gives these tours, she says that the, um, the, the lab is category five hurricane rated for wind, but not for water because if water gets in, it ruins things. Yeah. Um, but for wind, everything is, you know, secured. Yeah. So that's why coral reefs are also important to listening. <laughs> like if there's no coral on them, then over time they just degrade down and then there's nothing there to protect the coastline from yeah. storm surge. Yeah. I mean, they essentially say, serve the same purpose as like barrier islands do mm-hmm. in more like subtropical areas like up here. And without them, you know, we would be at a much greater risk for storm surge for everything. And that's why I feel a little bit better living in this area because we have pretty significant barrier islands that kind of protect us a little bit. Yeah. I mean, and the the thing is, it's like one, 
the next big storm that comes through here, like we're getting fucked. Like <laughs> it's like Hurricane Irma took a while to rebuild. Like, and I, again, I say there's still there's still things here that have been impacted from Irma that haven't recovered. Mm-hmm. And like another one comes through, holy crap! Can't imagine what that's gonna be like. And my friends and I, we talk about like you know buying houses down here. We're like, is it even worth it? Like the keys are gonna be mm-hmm. underwater in like the next fifty to hundred years anyway. Yeah. Like. Yeah, don't even know if it's worth it. And it's so expensive. Like it's just, it's, it's so hard because it's like it's such a beautiful place. But like if the reef goes, then the next storm comes through and we're all fucked. And then the Keys go. And like the Keys is a very interesting um, part of the United States in that it is the closest you can get to the Caribbean mm-hmm. by driving or flying. Like it's like in in the United States, everyone down here like the whole stretch of the keys is uh, they rely on the reef for their business. Like mm-hmm. they're either like ecotourism guides or fishing guides or scientists. They're like small business owners that rely on the tourism. Mm-hmm. And so it's really hard just like knowing that a whole community relies on an ecosystem to be healthy. And then if that's not healthy, then like, yeah, we, we all go, <laughs> we all leave. Yeah, because I mean, ultimately, without the reef, without the environment that's there, because Corey and I have taken a vacation to the Keys, which is really fun. Um, But without that environment, ultimately, all that's there are a series of bars and galleries and like you can go anywhere to to find that, you know, it's like there's a very unique like history to that place but ultimately like without the ecosystem there to bring people there because it's not Mm -hmm. like a it's not like a beach area there's not a lot of beaches down there it's more about the fishing and about diving and snorkeling and like experiencing the reefs Mm -hmm. and like mangroves communities and stuff like that Mm -hmm. so I don't know. I mean, some people may not go down there for that, but I just don't see the keys surviving. You're right. If, if the reefs go and, and they are degraded, I I've seen them. I've seen even the offshore ones. Um, and if you compare them to like reefs that are just offshore in Hawaii, it's like night and day. Yeah. The the difference in quality. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's insane. Yeah. So The Los Angeles Times has an article titled The Incredible Stories of the Diehards Who Looked Irma in the Face and Stayed. And this was written by Molly Hennessy Fisk on September 10th, 2017. If you want me to read some of this, I can sure. give you a little bit of a tidbit of some people. Yeah. So as Hurricane Irma barreled into Key West, Peter Borch stood atop the oldest guest house in the city, a converted Victorian mansion built in 1880 to film the unfolding mayhem. Storm gusts bent nearby palm trees nearly in half, stripping the scattering fronds down empty streets. The horizon was nearly obscured by a white wall of surf roaring in. The eye wall is about to hit here in Key West. No power, trees down, no flooding. Borch 31 shouted to be heard over the wind. Uh, Then he shifted focus to a porch below where an older man sat shirtless, sipping coffee from a mug, oblivious to the (laughs) onslaught. What a man! (laughs) That's peak keys right there. I love that shit. <laughs> also, I have to tell you another Pete Keys story after this. Pete Keys t- is that is that the Keys version of Florida Man, or is that an yeah, actual like, person? 
No, it's like, yeah, it's like, it's the Floridiest okay. Florida man that could ever live is gotcha. like in the Keys probably. Gotcha. I'll just do a side tangent real quick anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cause like you, the Keys are just like a quirky place sometimes. Yes. And yes. so like when you hear something outrageous, you're like, wow, that's the Keys to a T peak Keys. Um, oh, peak Keys. Yes. I thought you said Pete Keys. Oh no, Peak. <laughs> Pete. It's Pete Keys right there. Yeah, that's so that's that. <laughs> All right, sorry. Okay. No, that's okay. Um, but anyway, back to the story. So um, from initial reports on Sunday, it appeared that the Florida Keys had taken a pounding but dodged the sort of catastrophic disaster that had been widely expected as Irma roared north out of the Caribbean. But there were reports of missing people and fears for what might be found in light of day on Monday. Keys residents are hardy, proudly eccentric bunch, can confirm. Accustomed to surviving storm, can confirm. Um, many refuse to evacuate ahead of Irma, including residents at the tip of the island chain in Key West known as conks. Yes, if you were born and bred in the Keys, you are known as a conch. If you have moved to the Keys and have lived in the Keys for seven plus years, you are now named a freshwater conch. That is the rule here. Nice. And... <clears throat> So the keeper of the Ernest Hemingway's historic home stayed put to care for his brood of six-toed cats. Watering holes like the Blue Macaw, which is now known as Ramshead, there's no more Blue Macaw, um, stayed open offering a drink special called the Bloody Irma, which was five shots of Tito's vodka. <laughs> God, I love this Yay, place. Yay, <laughs> Tito's, that's our vodka. That's yes. from Texas. <clears throat> but as the storm descended on Sunday, some de- denizens. Wow, I don't know what that word means. Denizens. It means like why am I, why am a I lot, a lot of people. I don't know. Or I don't Googling. know. Googling an inhabitant or occupant of a particular place. Why yep. didn't you just say that? Like, why Fancy. Write, yeah. Why did they use Lamborghini <laughs> words on me? Um, they recon- locals reconsidered and headed for shelters of last resort, like a school on Sugarloaf Key. That's another thing. Schools are hurricane shelters down here. Mm-hmm. Um, others hunkered down to set up live feeds and promised to stay in touch. One holdout filmed himself nearly getting washed away by storm surf striking the red and yellow buoy at the southernmost point off US-1. Florida snowbirds and other island regulars posted queries online. How were the federally protected key deer faring? Um, Key West roaming roosters, like initial reports were good. Um, then the power went out, cell service ceased, and with it, the live feeds. Only those with satellite phones and landlines could stay in touch with the outside world. Those at Sugarloaf School were among the lucky few with a satellite phone and used it to report that those sheltering there had survived the storm unscathed. Volunteer rescuers used an app on their cell phone called Zello to report what they were seeing. I'm in Key West. And we're all right down here. I never do run from a storm, said a man who identified himself as PJ. So love how he just said, I'm a, yeah, PJ. No, no, that's Pete Keys. That's, that's Pete, Pete. Keys. Yeah. <laughs> um, Judy Cox searched online for signs of her friend Borch, one of the several Key West neighbors who decided to weather the storm. She last heard from him at 9 a.m. about an hour after he posted his last video. She said he told her it was windy and not a lot of flooding, some trees down, no power since last night. Now she was worried. She had trouble reaching another friend, a boat captain who was weathering the storm by Schooner Wharf or Schooner's Wharf. I'm sorry. Oh, um, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, last I heard, he was on his boat, is what she said. Um, in many cases, however, people were unreachable simply because they had lost cell phone service. 
Relatives even had trouble reaching Key West Mayor Craig Cates. He didn't have a landline. Longtime Key West resident artist Richard Dick Matson answered his landline around noon. Um, he said that he was cooking breakfast in what was left of his home. His shutters had been damaged and he had not been able to assess the rest of the storm's impact because it was still raging outside. Um, Matson who was 81, said that he was fine. And he said that as he was cooking his eggs, better than I would be if I was out there. And why did he stay? Well, he said that he stayed through five storms, um, Hugo, Bob, George, and Andrew, and I've stayed here for 40 years. This is my home and I'm going to stay here until I die. And yeah. that's also pretty uh, like on par for local Keys people as well. They are very, yeah. very diehard to the Keys. As for Irma, or as for how Irma compared to Hurricane Andrew in 1992, he said, it's bad. Cox had evacuated Wednesday, first to Tampa, then farther north along the coast to Wilmington, North Carolina, after the storm's path shifted on Thursday. Mm -hmm. Some of her friends booked flights out of Key West International Airport, only to see them canceled at the last minute. By Saturday, she said many of those who stayed were afraid to leave. The thought of getting stuck for hours in traffic with no gas is more terrifying to people than staying at home. Yeah. Which that's what I think about too. If I have to evacuate, like obviously you have gas cans and everything, but like I would not want to be sitting on the seven mile bridge mm-hmm. and having this storm roll through and I'm not mm-hmm. like I'm dead stop traffic. Like, yeah, like that's a that's a death sentence if it's yes. a high enough category story. Blow your car over. Yeah. For the listeners who have never been to the keys or don't know anything about the keys. Basically, just a long, very long series of islands that just kind of goes off the tip of Florida into the Caribbean, basically. And um, the only way in and out is on this, uh, what's the highway called? Highway? It's US-1. US-1. overseas highway. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you literally just drive um, from island to island via It's a two-lane road with an occasional passing lane. Yeah. And there's no other way out. Yeah, yeah, there's no other way out. It's sad. Yeah. Scary not by, sad. Not by road anyway, but yeah. 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 So as the storm approached, emergency managers from the Monroe County had to move their headquarters farther north from Marathon, which was hard hit as well. Um, Larry Kahn, the editor of the Keynoter newspaper, reported from a shelter at Marathon High School that the school had lost power and water at the neighborhood or as the neighborhood became submerged from the storm surge. Um, everything is underwater. I mean, everything is what Khan wrote, noting that about 50 people at the shelter expected to be stranded for days. Everyone here seems to be just walking around in a fog is also what he said. Yeah. About 500 guests stayed at the Key West Marriott Beachside Hotel, which weathered the storm without major damage. Um, uh, Essa, Sor- Essa Sawyer, who was the guest service agent at the hotel, said that the building is fine. We are standing al- standing strong. We have no power. We have no water. We have no internet, but we have our lives. <clears throat> and then among those who stayed in Key West was Bill South, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service, who received reports of extensive damage in Big Pine Key, which is where I live, mm-hmm. um, west of Marathon, including a roof knocked into a driveway. Someone came in and told us that there's a roof missing from one of the hotels on North Roosevelt Boulevard, but we can't get anybody out there, he said. South said it was difficult to gauge damage across the keys because only the more dire or excuse me, only the most dire emergency services are going out. Yeah. Historically in the Florida Keys, this is going to rank right up there at the top three most damaging storms. He said, including Hurricane Donna in 1960 and the Labor Day hurricane in 1935. 
Wind gusted to 120 miles per hour in Big Pine Key on Sunday, and the storm surge rose to 14 feet in Marathon and Kajo Key to the west. South said, noting that surges above 10 feet can destroy buildings. The storm surge damage will probably be the most devastating when it's all said and done, he yep. said, with the most serious damage probably confined to the area from Big Coppet Key east to Marathon. Emergency managers had received a report of only one fatality in the Keys. A man who crashed his vehicle in Marathon, his name had not been released, pending to family notification. Um, a major concern for both those who stayed around and those who evacuated. How much damage had the storm done to the series of bridges that connect the Keys via Route 1, which is also a thing. It's the bridges. Yeah. <laughs> There's like a lot of bridges. <laughs> yes, I could totally see those being a little sketch after a storm. If US-1 is compromised in any way, we would be out of contact for some time. The storm damaged some areas, including a bridge at Snake Creek in Isla Morada, he said, but Monroe County Emergency Services got out there and checked it, and it's all right. still passable. State crews were expected to check other bridges in the Keys on Monday. It's going to be a massive cleanup, is what he said. Uh, Monroe County Commissioner Heather Carruthers evacuated before the storm to Orlando with her wife and children, but remained involved with emergency management, which held meetings to discuss recovery efforts Sunday as storm winds and surge subsided. One of the first goals was to reopen medical facilities shuttered during the storm, she said. Clearly, we're going to need some help. Marathon in particular took a lot of water. Carruthers said the National Guard would be flying aid to Marathon starting late Sunday on C-130 planes. Um, on Facebook, she advised residents who had evacuated not to return until they received a message that it's safe. There's no water, electricity, or medical support at this time, is what she said. Um, but as Irma, he excuse me, as, but as Irma, he I can't say this, but as Irma headed north towards Tampa, a much larger metropolis unaccustomed to hurricanes, Carruthers said her community had been well prepared, not just by emergency managers, but of years of experience living at the, at the country's southernmost point. We're a pretty resilient bunch in the Keys, and we will rebuild, Carruthers said. It's always a little challenging when you're a 120-mile-long string of islands, but we have a lot of experience recovering from these kinds of storms. Yeah. And that was the end of the article. So, so. I'm looking at pictures of damage right now because I guess I wasn't aware or super aware of how bad this was either. Mm -hmm. um, seems like Big Pine had the worst of the wind, which is nuts. Um, cause it got up to 160 miles per hour at Big Pine. I'm looking at these pictures and they're very reminiscent of the pictures that we looked at last week in Galveston. Yep. Like, yeah. There's just sections just completely gone. Mm -hmm. There's roads that are like coastal roads made out of asphalt that are like all kinds of broken up. They look like they've been hit by an earthquake. Mm -hmm. Like that's what they look like. There's a picture here where a house on the coast the coastline eroded, so the house just fucking slid into the sea. Yes. There's pictures of boats in the middle of alleyways in between houses, like, or on the road. because Yeah, there's the, still boats around, like, there's a trail behind our lab, and there's, like, a sailboat that just sits back there. Like, <laughs> there's a lot there. of, yeah, it's just there. There's a lot of derelict vessels still from, like, Irma and everything, so. There's a picture here of this boat who the stern is basically just been pushed into an apartment building half of it's hanging out over the water half of it's like stuck in an apartment building or yes. a house or something I see what you're looking at yes oh yeah. my god yeah no it's bad 
you I should post that. some of these on our page so that people can can see. I will. Yeah, no, it was really bad. And um, the the way where Big Pine sits in the Keys, I want to say is like the location where most of these storms take path. Uh-huh. Because even just like regular storms around here, it's so funny because like our lab is like, I don't know, like 15 miles south on Summerland from Big Pine. Mm-hmm. And it could be storming here. And then you drive to the lab and it's like sunny. It's yeah. just like the way that it's it's all located is the storms pretty much pass Summerland and it hits Big Pine or whatever. It kind of so, does that here too. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, oh, that's a good key to live on, I guess. Yeah. Oh my god. Uh, uh, yeah, Irma was rough and people are still scarred from it. And mm. like I said before, like we, people lived on generators for months because they were still cleaning up and the first priority was to get key west back in order because that's you know where everyone comes to for tourism and that's not where the damage was the worst i know yeah so hurricanes are no joke and they impact everybody and and also like if you live in a hurricane area just always make sure that you're prepared like even if you don't get hurricanes often it's better to have your gas tanks full and like a stash of food ready and like yep. a bill bag just in case you need to piece the fuck out of there. I mean, we, ever since the freeze and experiencing how hurricanes have impacted like other areas around here after we moved down here, um, we are so much more prepared for hurricanes than we ever were in Virginia because it's just more of a problem here. Mm-hmm. You know? So we have water, um, we have easy to make without power food resources. We have gas cans. And honestly, if it's above a cat one, or even if it is a cat one and it's going to directly hit us, we're just going up to Dallas. We're not dealing with it. So, yeah. yeah. If it's a cat one, I think I would stay. Yeah. I'd be okay staying. I mean, we would put the shutters up, obviously. Well, it but, depends. Um, if we move to the new house, we might stay. But this house flooded during that tropical storm that went right over the house. So, <laughs> yeah, so, mm, I don't well, know. Maybe not. <laughs> yeah. So that was kind of my like pushing point. But yeah, we're moving to a new house. So maybe maybe uh, it'll be better. Who knows? So, yeah, yeah. speaking of um, wrapping this up a little bit. Um, first of all, do you have any citations that you want to um, I cited them when I was speaking. Yes, you did. Because you're so smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm good on that one. Okay. Um, okay. Well, uh, other than Alaska, any good things this week or things you're looking forward to? Yeah, actually a couple things. So I like to find the silver lining and annoying things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Reef, Reef Environmental Education Foundation Mm-hmm. Um, every year they have their lionfish derby in the Florida Keys. And, um, last year our lab was a lower keys drop-off point because they are based in the upper keys. So they want to expand the derby down throughout the keys and our lab provides a location for right. lower keys teams to drop off. Uh, we're going to do the same thing this year, but apparently not a lot of teams registered and no teams in the lower keys registered. So, um, I don't need to count fish this weekend. However, the Derby event is still going on in the upper keys where I will have a table up there 
And um, the silver lining in all of this is that I also volunteer with the Surfrider Foundation for the Florida Keys. And we were doing, or we are doing a cleanup the morning before the Derby Awards on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And originally I wasn't going to be able to make it because I thought I was going to be at our lab counting fish. And, um, but now that's not happening, I'll be able to go up and uh, do the cleanup and then attend the event. And so that'll be good. Um, so what I'm doing since she lives about like an hour from me, what I'm doing today is I'm gathering all of our event supplies at the lab. And then I'm going to drive up to her place tonight. And she works for an ecotourism company. So she's, she runs a sunset cruise tonight. So I'm going to go on her sunset cruise (laughs) for free and drink wine and eat cheese. And then, (laughs) yes. So that's going to be so nice to do a sunset cruise tonight. Yeah. And then I'm going to crash at her place and then we're going to do the cleanup in the morning and then we'll send up, set up our booths at the event uh, Sunday morning after the cleanup. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then I'll be good. Um, so yeah, no, this weekend will be good. I'm exhausted from Alaska. My time, yeah. my inner clock is still fucked. Like I woke up at nine today and I was like, Actually, I woke up at eight. My alarm went off at eight and I was like hitting snooze. I was like, God damn it. I need to get on this call. <laughs> I'm like so exhausted. <laughs> and um, so I'm still adjusting my sleep. So I think I'm just going to take the morning off on Monday to kind of recoup too. But cool. All right. What about you? What are you looking forward to? So uh, after, literally like right after we recorded the last episode, I got the news that um, the house that we applied for to rent, um, that we were the top pick and they wanted to have, have a site lease with them. Yay. And it's, I'm really excited. I'm not so much excited about the location because I don't really love the town as much that it's in. However, the house itself is going to be so nice to have because we live in a very old house that is falling apart and the layout mm-hmm. does not make any sense and the kitchen sucks and there's no insulation and there's just a lot of things that are frustrating about living here. The location's great. It's on the water, but, um, it's just getting kind of old. There's a lot of other things that are causing problems as well that are kind of unrelated to the house. But um, basically, our landlords want to sell the house next spring. So we're looking around for rentals now because the rental market here really sucks. Um, and the house that we got is like much newer, has hardwood floors, beautiful fireplace, actual functioning decent sized kitchen with a dishwasher. I'm going to have a dishwasher. Yo, this house is the first house I lived in that had a functioning dishwasher as well. Ugh. Every other place I've lived in, like didn't have a functioning dishwasher. Yeah. And it's, very, it's very nice to have. Yeah. That's all I got to say. And we're going to have enough space for both of us to have our own private offices and a, have a guest room. And we're, we also have a sunroom in like a Ooh. decent backyard. And I have palm trees in my backyard, which just oh, makes me so happy. That's nice. Yeah. So a lot of good things. And it's just been a slog getting packed up because we're literally getting the keys next week. So yes, <laughs> it has sure. been. And so what we're doing after this, I'm just going to, we're just going to be packing all weekend. Um, thankfully we have a lot of support with people in our work in the community and we were able to get a ton of boxes and stuff and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, so that's uh, my good thing. So hopefully good. not next episode, but the episode after we will be in and I will be 
uh, doing a podcast from our loft that Corey's office is going to be in. So. I love this. I can't wait to see photos of it. Yes. And I'm I get sure. to paint. I get to paint. And I'm so excited. It's like, I also hate moving too. Like, yes. I don't want to have to like hire movers again. Like I don't want to pack my shit up again. Oh, we're like, doing it ourselves. I mean, if we did this move ourselves, we just literally had a U-Haul and drove down where we were just renting a U-Haul and our friends are going to help us with the big furniture and everything else we're going to take over in our cars ourselves. Yeah. I just so. can't do the whole, like, I don't know, like asking friends to help you move again. You know, everyone hates that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Luckily we have some really good friends who would do anything for us and that is lucky. we helped them move last year. So they're going to return the fare. So I don't feel that bad about it. Yeah. They owe you for sure. Yeah. So anyway, that's, that's my good thing. Good. Yeah. Good. So, uh, where can our, um, listeners reach out to us? Well, yeah, you guys can hit us up in our DMS at, uh, mother nature will kill you podcast on Instagram, on Twitter. We are M-N-W-K-Y podcast, and we have our little website called MotherNatureWillKillYouPodcast.com, where there is a contact form. You can write us a little message on there as well. Yeah. And uh, you can listen to us um, on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, um, as well as on Anchor and on our actual website. Um, You can listen on any of those platforms. And if you want, we would really love it if you could submit your own personal uh, survival stories. They don't have to be near-death situation, um, but they just have to be, you know, slightly dangerous. (laughs) Just interesting enough for it. Yeah. Yeah. So please submit if you have them or if you know people um, who would let you tell their story, uh, we'll take any and all of that. Um, And get excited because we are about to enter spooky season and have some really interesting, like morbid, but also mysterious stories lined up for us. So there will be tragedy. However, the things surrounding these stories are more, uh, to me, interesting are the mystery of what actually happened. So I am super excited to talk about them. I'm like literally bursting at the seams with excitement about these stories. Will, uh, my favorite. <laughs> will there be people that are haunted? Um, that's up for you to decide. Okay. There's a lot of, um, options as to, um, what is happening to set people. All I ask during spooky season. Okay. Is that if it is anything paranormal uh-huh. that we record in the morning, so I have the whole day to get over it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, um, with that, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. Yes, I need to go uh, get my shit together for later. I need to be up in Isla Mirada by four thirty, so I got four and a half hours to do things. <laughs> so uh, until next time, my friends, uh, stay stay safe, but most of all. Stay curious, explorers. Goodbye. And please get vaccinated. And like get loud and big if you see a bear. <laughs>